Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Stimmy and Angie Blaker. How is your evening, Andy? Hey, it's going all right. How are you? I'm doing well, too. We are now on episode 11 of season four of Cheers. This episode is titled Don Juan is Hell. It was written by Steve Sutton, directed by James Burroughs, and it aired on December 12th, 1985. So the log line for this one is, after initial reluctance, Diane uses Sam as a case study for a paper in her human sexuality class. Her paper is a success with her professor, who then agrees to Sam's suggestion to bring the class to cheers to meet its subject, Sam who doesn't know that Diane's paper, rather than chronicling his sexual prowess in a positive way, presents him as an insecure person destined for a lonely life. Woody challenges Carla's mastery of sports trivia by studying for a three-question sports trivia challenge of his own, and Cliff has produced another homegrown vegetable that he regards as significant. So we start with the sports trivia kind of subplot. I mean, it's a smaller part of the episode, but it's an amusing, I think, little story. And at the start, Norm is quizzing Carla on sports trivia. And she's, you know, just nailing every question. And then Woody tells Carla to ask him something. And her response is, forget it, Zeke. There aren't any questions about Wheaton there. (laughs) (laughs) Calling him Zeke. I thought that was a fun farm Mm. insult. Woody you know, kind of challenges Carla's knowledge of the trivia books. And she says that she knows everything in the book. So he asks her the Library of Congress card catalog number. And she immediately rattles off a number. Woody says it's not even close. So she tells Woody, like, come here and look. And kind of gets him to look into the book and then twists his nose into the book. And he says, that's it exactly. (laughs) It's good as a little teaser. And it does start off their subplot as well. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it does the job, right? Mm-hmm. I liked that he pointed to the to the Library of Congress card number. I was sure she wouldn't yeah. know that. Um, that was clever. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it does introduce it, which it does thread throughout the entire episode, which was surprising because, as we know, normally they don't they don't always do that. So right. And I think it's just a friendly thing. I can imagine them doing at the bar too. So even though it's not like hilarious, you know, I still thought that it was fun. Right. When we start the episode. We begin with Cliff coming in with the vegetable that he has grown. It's some kind of squash. And as soon as he sits down and pulls this out of the bag, and they, but I should say they reference the potato that he thought looked like Richard Nixon. And he yeah. says, you know, no, no, it's, it's nothing like that. He pulls out some kind of squash. And Norm at that point is already shaking his head and just taking a drink of his beer. <laughs> like, here we go again, you know. Yeah. And so... Cliff says that the bumps on the squash are a map of the Hawaiian islands. And he says something about how it's one of nature's fascinating mutations. <laughs> and then Carla adds resting, resting in the hands of one of her bigger ones. Yes. So. That was a great, I, I, good moment there. Yeah. Yeah. So this is definitely, you know, Cliff's season for the odd vegetables. It's interesting, I think, that they've chosen to revisit that topic for him. Mm-hmm. They decided they could mine some more laughs from it, I suppose. <laughs> right. Right. But it's like, that's a, it's a good point because it's like how he went to Florida last year, remember? And that was through the entire yes. season. It's him talking yes. about Florida. 
And so this one seems to be his growing these vegetables that have some sort of significant property to them or historical or, I guess, geographical significance. Right. So we start with our main story. Carla is approaching Diane, who's reading at the table by the window. And this is kind of an aside, but um, I would add, Cheers has a lot of places within the bar set at which specific events you know, and conversations have taken place over the years. And I'm starting to remember some of the ones from that we've seen, you know, in previous seasons as we visit each little location. So, for example, the table where Diane is sitting was where the two ladies in the season one finale kept upping the alcohol content of their drink order, if you remember that scene. <laughs> I do, um, yeah. Carlo, you know, just, just fun little things like that, I think, give it history, and I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah, so, like, just over the course of the show, it seems like different places in the bar have their own history of scenes. And I was just thinking about that when I saw this part of Carla approaching Diane. That's a good point. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, so Carla notices that Diane is reading a text on human sexuality, and Diane doesn't want Carla announcing that so loudly for some reason. And Carla says Diane is blushing. And, um, and they have some back and forth about, what was it about the, um, Diane says that, not that she's, print. what was it, that she's, not, it wasn't proper, but it was something about how Carla brought in slides of her honeymoon. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah, like she was a little more reserved about it, unlike Carla, who brought in color a colored slideshow or whatever and right. <laughs> forced them, right. forced everyone to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Which Carla says was very popular, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and apparently Diane has overextended her break, which is not surprising. Carla's on to her about that. She's not working. She's still on break. And Diane's excuse this time is that she has to come up with a topic for her psychology paper. So at this point, Sam comes in and Carla asks him to try to get the stick to work. <laughs> um, and she tells him that Diane has to write a paper about sex and she can't think of anything to write about. And Carla is just about disgusted that Diane can't think of anything to write about <laughs> right. sexuality class. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was funny. Yeah. And then Sam makes this comment, how about, how about how Diane studied for a whole year at Sammy State? Mm-hmm. Then, Which, you know, I feel like that's a line. I don't know. I I, I like I laughed at that line, even though it's really, uh-huh. you know, corny and kind of, you know, I don't know, classic Sam, right? Where you like roll your eyes right. or whatever. But um, yeah, I couldn't help but laugh at that line. Just just how because he's made those allusions before to him, yeah. his himself as being some sort of bastion of education right you know sammy state I, I this isn't the first time we've heard that so um something to that effect so i don't know <laughs> yeah well, well he always is making some kind of a, a use of his name in some sort of sexual you know metaphor right. or title or whatever um right. I th- and i don't always find it as funny as this one sammy state is kind of funny though and i think it's funnier yeah. just because diane is in you know all of these college classes and that's what the episode's about <laughs> so i don't know it was amusing. So he bolts up to the table to help her, offer to help her. And then she says, like, well, thank you, but this is a paper on human sexuality. <laughs> Which is like, I don't know. I thought it was a good rebuff of him. It was playful. Mm-hmm. It was clever. Yeah. And then she says that she considered using him as a case study, but she lacked the proper objective perspective. Um, and Sam wants to help. He says something about, like, we're pals, aren't we? Let me feel useful. I thought that that was interesting, like the, his desire to help and that he sees her as a pal. was, was kind of an interesting thing to include. Mm. Did you notice that or 
No, well, I, I, I think it's interesting in light of how they revisit that whole theme at the end of the episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it did. they did kind of feel like they kind of tried to hammer that point here early on and in the episode's end. Mm-hmm. You know, how we're, we're we're pals, we're friends, you know, whatever. Right. You know, water under the bridge and, yeah. Yeah. Right, and they can just be pals or so is what, you know, Sam is suggesting here. Yeah. In the beginning. And so D- Diane is wanting him to take this seriously. And she says, it, it is for her academic benefit at this point. She says that she's very close to a master's degree in one of 37 different subjects. Which I would like to point out is impossible, but yeah, I, I <laughs> like that's this, extreme. This... It, it's so extreme that I didn't find it that funny and it could have been, you know. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I felt like, okay, this is anyone, if, if anyone has done a master's, they know that A, that doesn't make any sense. And B, mm-hmm. when did, I, I wondered, I asked myself this, did we, or did I completely miss the episode where she went back for her master's? I mean, I, I know we've seen her taking classes before, but. Right. That's not the I, same thing though. Yeah. Like when did this really start? Did, did they have an episode where it's like, I am going back to school because I don't remember that like definitively Mm-mm. happening. I just remember it kind of being like, oh, hey, I'm taking a class. Okay. And immediately that becomes the the the, the plot point of that particular episode. You know what I mean? Right. So. And I think that's it is that she still, she has, I, I think she has a bachelor's degree because I believe that they mentioned that in the episode way early on with the friend that came in. Mm-hmm. There was Julia Duffy played her friend, and I thought that that was her college friend, because they named the 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 college where they attended. I thought, mm-hmm. and so after mm-hmm. that, it, it seems like yeah, she just she well, she was a teaching assistant to Sumner, of course, when she came in in the very beginning. So she was, I guess, a graduate student, but it wasn't right. I didn't quite. I don't know. Maybe I'm forgetting some things from that episode, but I guess at the time. I don't know. Maybe they were going to have her be like an English literature graduate student. And then I think, yeah, he had a a chair in English literature or something like that. Wasn't that because there's Mm -hmm. a joke about the chair at some point. And maybe that was just funny after that, that she couldn't decide. And she's taking all of these different classes. But I don't think she ever, it was ever stated that she was pursuing a master's degree in a particular subject. Right. Right. I mean, they joke about it and, you know, kind of do like a round robin of all of the things that she's pursued. But Again, like 37 is, yeah, it's too many to be funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So be that as it may, Norman Cliff, when she's saying this, Norman Cliff are sitting at the little table before the hallway. And when Diane says that psychology could be her major major, Norm n- notes that he and Cliff were there for the moment. <laughs> we were here to see it. Which is kind of funny on its own. And then Cliff, of course, reminds him that they're always there. We're always here. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I really There's, enjoy that little exchange. I did too, because Cliff is sitting there still with the squash and the bag on the table, you know. <laughs> just right. sitting there drinking their beer. <laughs> the next part is the office scene when Diane is interviewing Sam basically about, um, well, he wants it to be entirely about his sex life. But she starts with this question about his parents. Or she starts by saying that she'll be touching on some very sensitive areas. Which, of course, he loves. It's the perfect line set up for him. (laughs) And then she asks if he would describe his parents as physically demonstrative. And his reply is, I'm here, aren't I? 
They must have right. been. <laughs> that I actually think that's a really good answer, though. It is. Well, he answered the question, didn't he? Yeah, they must have been in here. It's just very matter of fact. I don't know. I just really like the way he answered that question. Right. But then he wants to skip ahead to the parts about him. And so they get into the story about the age he had his first sexual encounter, which is, you know, he's more enthusiastic about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point in this, like, they're starting these questions, and Sam notices that Diane has named him Trevor as a pseudonym. And she has to remind him that this isn't his resume, because he wants to get credit for his work, basically. That's <laughs> what he's telling yeah. her. <laughs> so, yeah. I like that line. This is not your resume, you know. <laughs> right. I, I really like that. Too. There's some very good lines, I think, between them through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Some good retorts and, you know, just, I don't know. I, I thought that it was sort of a, at some point, it's kind of a heightened level of discussion. And I think having the academic aspect and the psychology paper in there lent itself to that. Um, yeah. I don't know if you thought, we can talk about that in the end if you want to, if you had any thoughts on that too, or now, whatever. But I just, I don't know. I noticed that throughout the episode, though. Yeah, no, all I'll say now is I I really enjoyed that academic bent that this episode had. I thought Mm -hmm. from the introduction of the the professor character and and how Sam's kind of just set up as this sort of guinea pig who doesn't realize he's a guinea pig. And I I just, I don't know. I I enjoyed pretty much every element of that here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I did too. And I thought that the academic background, it was just, a, it was a good like stage for this story for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sam talks about his first sexual experience and he says that he couldn't get to her house until the crossing guard showed up. <laughs> so, and then. Well, why around, I, la- yeah. I, sorry, why I no, laugh no, no, no. is because his follow up to that line about his second sexual encounter. I don't know. It just, it, it's, it's, it's nonsensical, right? Really. I mean, if you really stop to Pretty think much. about it, but I just like how he followed up with the crossing guard and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause we go through this whole thing with her that we'll talk about in a moment. And then um, she asks about his section, second sexual encounter. He's like, well, that would be the crossing guard. <laughs> so you've been, I don't know. It paints a, a picture that I don't necessarily want to think about too much. No, exactly. A funny response. I, I yeah, I thought it was funny without really examining what it means. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Sam kind of turns it on Diane and asks about her first time. Like since she's talking about his, he just asks about hers, and she's explaining that she's the scientist and that her experience is not what's relevant. But you know, Diane, she can't help herself. So she starts this story. It was the summer of my nineteenth year. And I don't know about you, but when she started with, instead of just saying, like, I was 19, mm-hmm. she says, it's summer of my 19th year, I wonder, how long is this story going to go? Like, is the episode, exactly. you know, I mean, I, you know, I've seen it before, feel- so I know it doesn't do this, but I would have wondered, like, is the episode going to go in a different direction now? Is she just going to start talking and now it's going to be about her? <laughs> it's the start of a classic 19th century novel, basically, how she starts in with that, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And she carries on in that vein because she describes the guy as a young man in uniform who left my arms and went to his doom. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> yep. It's so affected. But then, so in that part, it's like, oh, God, you know. And then Sam is sympathetic and he asks if he was killed. And this part I thought was great because she's like, no, he went to boot camp and came back with the most god-awful haircut I'd ever seen. <laughs> was very down to earth you know it's just something mm-hmm. a regular person in a bar would say so yeah. that was a good quick switch from her she's like well truth be told no he actually got a bad haircut 
I like that scene though. I thought that that was it was a good back and forth in the office between them. I did too. I really did. Yeah. So Woody has been studying for the sports trivia contest. It seems like he's maybe been just kind of casually studying. And Norm asks a question about Ted Williams, <laughs> who's very famous. Like people not in baseball would know who that is. And Woody replies, Ted who? So not going so well for Woody in the trivia uh, <laughs> at this point, which is going to be a big contrast to his performance later. Yeah. So now we have, as you mentioned, the professor. Diana's professor stops by the bar. I believe his name is Professor Greenspock. Yes. Got yes. Yep. And he is just, I, I really enjoy him mm-hmm. because he seems to be another one of those, um, like just kind of like very happy, positive, enthralled with his subject matter, but a little bit out of touch with reality academics mm-hmm. <laughs> that we have on yeah. cheer sometimes. He reminds me, in fact, of the professor. I don't know if you remember the professor that came to see Macbeth when Diane and Andy Andy did Macbeth. <laughs> yep, yep. I love that guy, too. He was so great. But it was that same just level of thrill and enthusiasm. His was for the theater, and then this guy is for psychology and for Diane's you know subject matter. But through the entire yeah. episode, there's so many instances of him just being like, this is unbelievable. And, you know, um, what was it he says to Sam? He's like, I just I have to look through my notes and see some of the different words that he used. But he just cannot, you know, can't believe that Sam is this person that he's presented to be in Diane's paper. Right, right. And he just seems astounded by it time after time. <laughs> and he's telling Diane her paper is extraordinary and that the New England Journal of Psychology might want to publish it. But they might doubt, he says they might doubt the paper's authenticity because she has this perfect example of Don Juanism. Yeah. So they, I, I think that his first hesitation is if the, you know, the Trevor character is real. And then as we'll get to, the second one is like having the cause and the effect. Like what would be the effect on a woman if Diane could dig up one of these women, you know, that yeah. has uh, fallen for Trevor? Um, and that's a whole other funny bit. But yes. at, this, at this point, Sam comes downstairs and Diana asks if you would mind her revealing his identity to her psychology professor. So Sam immediately like runs over and is like, yo, Doc, Trevor here, alias Sam alone. <laughs> and <laughs> Professor Greenspot goes on about his amazing case history. And Sam is like, doesn't he like actually knock on wood? He's like, it, yeah, it is. And knock on yeah. wood and like goes mm-hmm. and knocks on wood. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so completely impressed with his skill right and oh yeah more than willing to air it all for everybody right and he's making more of these comments about how names had to be changed to protect the satisfied you know and (laughs) professor greenspock's like oh unbelievable he just cannot believe the same right right (laughs) oh golly that is amusing diane's reaction to all this like that line about you know protect the satisfied and just how how Mm -hmm. i don't know just her face with with that is is so enjoyable to watch because she's kind of isn't she kind of like not completely rolling her eyes but she's just right it's like she can't make up her mind what she's gonna do because Mm -hmm. yeah exactly she doesn't really roll her eyes it's more just like this pursed lip kind of you know (laughs) can't decide whether to roll my eyes or laugh or you know Mm -hmm. whatever right and she's in the middle of this but both the professor and sam in different ways are just very delighted with everything that's happening at this point in the story 
So the professor, Professor Greenspot, suggests that Diane find one of Trevor's conquests to find out why she's so gullible. What gives her such low self-esteem that she could possibly fall for this blatant manipulation? <laughs> and Diane is, you know, just kind of grimacing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but he thinks the journal would publish the paper with that edition. Yeah. So Diane, I think, you know, she's going to do this. She has a line here. I got to say, she has a line where he's, you know, he's using terms like, yeah, blatant manipulation and, you know, inadvertently insulting her. And she's just kind of been totally owned. And she, you know, she says, I don't know. And it was just the way she said that line was, was <laughs> yes. this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I don't I even know. know how to describe <laughs> it, but I really enjoyed how she delivered it. Yeah, you know? that was great. I don't know how to describe it either, but it's just, okay, yeah, kind of a... A comment to herself almost you know mm-hmm. yeah like she's that at a complete really loss to answer it right yeah. and then coming close we have a little the intervening scene with woody but coming close on the heels of the first discussion with professor greenspock we have the professor coming back and or i think he's coming out of the he and diane are walking out of the pool room so apparently she has you know revised the paper and added this you know case study of colette is the name um who diane has described in these absurd superlatives something about her what was it like her rapturous beauty and mm-hmm. something ethereal and then the intelligent brilliant, brilliant. Intelligent. yes mm-hmm. everything yeah yeah and how like, he's just astounded that such a person could be so easily manipulated by trevor mm. and diane says that trevor is not without his charms though they may be crude and the price, this is the other thing I love about this professor and his lack of contact with, um, I'm not going to say reality, I don't mean it in that way, but just the, like what, how people are responding, you know, <laughs> like, he's not tempering his reactions based on the feedback that he's getting from her expression. Right. Right. So he goes on about how Trevor's trying, they're so transparent that a woman would have to be addled. <laughs> he's just going on and on about it. <laughs> Diane interrupts him. And so Sam hears um diane telling or the professor telling diane that he's looking forward to her presenting her paper that night and he wants to sit in on the class and this was kind of a fun you know back and forth i thought when diane says like oh he wouldn't enjoy the class it's very dry and boring and you look at the professor's face at that point yes yeah she's she's just kind of like hitting herself both ways right she's she's inadvertently insulting him and then insults sam and yeah i really enjoyed the setup of that yeah Right, because then she's like, I mean, to somebody, wasn't it like of Sam's limited intelligence? And then she has to turn back to him and try to make amends and so right. forth. Right. So they end up offering to have the class come by the bar um, after their class. And so the press, the professor says they could meet the clinical case in the flesh. And then we have another you know, Sam line of, he won't promise that. They'll have to see how the evening goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the professor's like, oh, remarkable. He's just remarkable or something mm-hmm. like that at that point. Yes. It's just so funny that he's bowled over by Sam. <laughs> right after that, we'll go back to the Woody part in a moment, but Sam or Diane suggests that Sam read the paper before the class comes by. So she leaves to go home to get ready, and Sam looks at the paper title, The Don Juan Syndrome in Modern Culture, Culture An Analysis of Satyriasis. And it takes him <laughs> several tries to pronounce satyriasis. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Diane's managed to make my sex life boring. And Carl adds, it's not for the first time. <laughs> so, 
even that title, that could be, it could be worse. Like it's a little wordy for Sam's taste, but it could have been worse. Yeah. No, I enjoyed how they, they really kind of set this whole thing up with her just like, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's pretty much offering the paper, right? Like here's everything that we're going to do. You know, she's willing to let yep. him read it. And he chooses just based on the title. He's like, not okay, I'm not going to even. Yeah. And, and really sets it all up for what's to come, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Obviously, I just everything about it. I really like how it builds up and uh-huh. toward the inevitable. You're just kind of thinking about, oh god, this is going to be a nightmare scene. You know, he's having all these grad students in the bar, and th- you know, for what he imagines is going to be one thing. And I just and I love the suspense almost of how it builds up. Yeah. yeah, no, it's really well done. It reminds me too of the boys in the bar when he decides not to read Tom Kenderson's book because he's like, well, I lived it. I went through this with him. And so, you know, yes. he's thinking that he doesn't need to read it. And then he yeah. has this unexpected, very public realization, you know, that it wasn't right. what he thought it was. Right. It right. just reminded me of that. Yeah. So let's go back for a minute to Woody because in between the scenes with the professor and Diane and Sam, we have Woody studying the sports trivia book at the back mm-hmm. table. And this time he's really studying. I mean, his hair is all kind of must and he looks like he's a little bit glazed over in the eyes. And he says he's ready and he needs to answer his questions, his trivia questions, before he forgets everything, I guess. So Carla comes over and asks him these three questions. <laughs> and Norm puts a towel around Woody's neck, is massaging his shoulders as though he's really competing in a sports contest. And Woody gets all three questions correct and from different sports everybody applauds and then woody keeps giving information <laughs> um because i think it was it was a pitcher the last question was about a pitcher that pitched it was either pitched i didn't write it down pitched or lost like the only one hitter in a world series something mm-hmm. to that way and so he names the person which is the question but then he goes on with like the location and the score and all of this and norm says that's good woody and then woody's just like good woody elmer good woody short stop for boston <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah. when Cliff tells Woody to take a rest, Woody's like, take a rest. Winner of the California Derby, 1959. <laughs> he's still going over the – I love that he's still going over the stats to win mm-hmm. place and show as Norman Cliff drag him in the chair down the hallway. He's just like stone-faced, glossy-eyed. Yeah. yeah. You're reciting. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was a, a fun, mm-hmm. you know, conclusion to that little storyline. Right. That he's just on autopilot at this point. <laughs> and I kind of sympathize. I could have gotten that into trivia, I think, at some point for a trivia contest. Oh, yeah. It was a good way to have Woody have his own plot in the episode, I think, mm-hmm. his own little story. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it, we've got three plots in this episode. Mm-hmm. They, It's just jam-packed. I mean, it really It is, is but I think... I think it's balanced well. I mean, I guess that's more of a conclusion for like the final analysis, but it doesn't feel overstuffed because I think there, you know, there's one main plot and then other little going right. on in the bar. No, I agree. I, I do. I mean, you've got three yeah. threads, but I didn't really realize it until the end. And I did think they, they, yeah. they all flowed together really quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because sometimes we've seen when the stories are a little bit disjointed, they'll start one and then move on to the other and kind of de-emphasize the first one or it just doesn't seem like it works quite as well or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, or it'll be too much happening. But I feel like this is just very well balanced. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's not leaving characters with 
nothing to do, you know. Yeah. So yeah, just I'm very happy about it. Um, so a man, speaking of the other storyline, a man comes in looking for Cliff. And this man is a reporter with the Chronicle, and he's come to see Cliff, because apparently Cliff has sent in a photo of the squash. And Cliff, I mean, it's just what you'd imagine. At first, he's just delighted that his squash has received this attention and is going to be a featured news story. And then the reporter says he's working on a story on eccentrics in Boston, the kind of lunatic frame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I I would be interested in reading that story for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other participants was going to be a woman with 84 snakes. <laughs> so Cliff is kind of, well, very, I should say, angry about this. So he declines. He tells the reporter to get out. Norm has a comment about it. He, like, I think that they think it's good that Cliff stood out up for himself and whatnot. And then Cliff just makes a comment about the woman with the snakes. So that's kind of the end of his bit. Mm-hmm. Which I I thought it ended in a funny way. I did you know, too. He it's he himself that's the subject, right? The, the vegetable that he thinks, right? So. That last line that the the reporter delivers as he walks out, right? He's been shouted down. He's just like, I don't get paid enough to do this, you know. It's, <laughs> right. You know this. You just get this picture of this guy who's just doing this, you know, work kind of on the fringes, right? I mean, so to mm-hmm. speak, the lunatic fringe and everything. But um, yeah, I liked how. I don't know. I liked how they managed to tie that whole thing in and yet make it kind of funny with at, at Cliff's expense. Right. You know, he's right. part of that, of that group, the lunatic fringe. And, you know, here he is again being called out for his eccentric behavior and mocked for it and everything. Right. <laughs> right. And right. like, but yet him thinking it's going to be something positive and it turns out to be something that he doesn't like. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That was, that was good. So Diane comes in with her class, and Sam welcomes them. He has remarks prepared. You know, he kind of has a little seating area set aside for them, and he's flirting with the other woman in the class. Um, He's just like, did you bring an apple for the teacher or something? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, And Diane is concerned about the content of the paper. And so Sam lies to her and says he's read it, and then he starts – Talking to the class, like giving like a lecture on what makes him different when it comes to scoring big with women. <laughs> and he does, like he talks about how he loves ladies and all these things about them and so forth, which I think he does. I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, not a lot to unpack there, but um, right. he's going on about the way they smell and feel and this and that, that type of thing. But mm-hmm. um, I noticed too, though, that the other woman in the class, like when he's talking about like, oh, I love ladies. <laughs> She sort of cuts her eyes around her classmate mm-hmm. and just gives this look. Yeah, yeah. And then soon after, Sam compliments her lipstick shade, how it matches her cheeks. And then Professor Greenspock again is like just laughing. He's like, unbelievable. You just cannot imagine a man behaving that way, which I think is really amusing. Yeah. So. I so love Sam. Oh, oh sorry. No, I was just going to bring up Barry where I'm sure you were going to yeah, lead to. I just think it's, it's great that that's the guy that he latches onto. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, he's just like, yeah. you know, tell me what you would do. And it's just kind of this nerdy kind of guy, you know, yeah. and, uh, who gives a perfectly great, respectful, normal response. And Sam's just not having it, but go, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. <laughs> 
Oh no no no! You can take go through it if you want to. Well, I, he I basically he yeah. I mean, I'm uh, he basically you know asks you know Barry, what would you do? You know, you're you're attracted to a woman. How would you you know? He'd be like, so Barry's like, you know, I'd be polite. You know, make sure there's no pressure. Put I don't put any pressure <laughs> on her. I'd I'd let the relationship grow naturally, right? You know, a perfectly. Uh, correct like, you know let her know i respect her as a exactly human being. <laughs> right but sam then yeah. like basically what snorts or whatever with laughter mm. about it just like shakes his head you know i i just i don't know the whole way they set this up with with sam it was good versus yeah. Sam. yeah yeah he says something sam says something about like we all have pretty crazy ideas when we're young <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> like oh you naive I'm... child right yeah yeah, yeah. But you're, I hadn't thought about that, like him choosing Barry, but that is funny that he picks that guy to, to ask, you know, like he's going to, he, he's trying to te- like to help him in a way, like, in a way, I guess, in mm-hmm. Sam's way. Um, but yeah, he's like teaching him where he went wrong. And he says something about asking the class, like where, if anyone can tell him where Barry went off the beam. <laughs> <laughs> went off the beam. I love Frank. that expression. I do too. I think it's funny. So at this point, Diane basically reels Sam into the office and she reads to Sam from her paper, basically telling him that he's intimidated by women, by the women around him and motivated by constant fears of inferiority and failure. And the idea of a non-sexual relationship is completely foreign to him. She tells him he's going to be destined for a lonely life of despair, unable to give or receive love. So she's talking through all of this and you can just kind of see him crumble as she's you know i mean he's taking that pretty seriously i think yeah this was a this was a hard scene i well i really liked it i mean i thought it was really effective and really well done but yeah i mean she mm-hmm. she's just reading this 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 cutting cold you know clinical kind of 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 review of him basically and yeah. it, it not the least bit positive really um and and yeah his face just falls he he's listening and it's very subtle but it's it's very harsh you know and and you mm-hmm. can't help but really feel I, I think for him in that in that moment so i thought it was a really effective way that they did that because you know they go instantly from from the comedy to straight up character drama you know right so i think it was well done too i mean i don't think cause I, I mean i don't think the transition was harsh like the words are harsh mm-hmm. but i think that it I think it worked well. It did, and, yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I, I mean, Diane, I don't think Diane's, I think she's really telling him this. I don't think she's doing it out of a sense of her ego or, you know, like they're fighting and so she's going to say something nasty to him. And I think we've seen so much of that in the past that this stands out as like her just telling him, you know, what she's written in this paper about him. Mm-hmm. Um, because she doesn't. You know, she even says that she doesn't mean to hurt him or something like that about how she didn't want to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says and they they do a good job too of adding like little comic bits because Sam's saying he says it, it, the paper makes his life seem cheap and pathetic, and she's denying this and so forth. And he says it says right here his life is cheap and pathetic. You know, <laughs> so it's they pepper it with good you know comic timing. I think amidst the seriousness. Um, and then I think it's interesting too, that she switches and she's talking about how she's exaggerated his, you know, this analysis of him to corroborate her thesis. So she's basically accusing herself of intellectual dishonesty at this point Mm -hmm. in order to spare his feelings. Yes. And you know, you bring up a good point because is, is it, 
is she saying this and it's not true, but she's saying it to spare his feelings? Or is she kind of get, feels guilty enough where she's like, oh, this is really what I did? What did you, I, I don't know. I feel like both are kind of legitimate takes on it. I, mean, I think Sam takes it to heart because he says, you know, he might end up that way and that everything in the paper is true and so forth, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's from that jumping off point where they have the, you know, the mention of that him not having a non-sexual relationship and then it goes on to Diane saying that they have a non-sexual relationship and so forth. But before they get to that point, and that kind of, I mean, they, it's good because it ends the episode in a really funny way. But yeah. then the part before that, I don't know. I mean, they deal with it as much as they needed to for this episode. But I feel like that's kind of the heart of it. Like Sam's saying that he may end up this way and that everything in the paper is true about him. So I don't know. I think that she probably thinks that she says like that's my clinic first she says that's her clinical opinion and that as a woman what does she say something about i don't know she's almost like disagreeing with her own thesis which is very unusual for diane Mm -hmm. so i i guess i would have to say that she may think she's come across a bit harsh Mm -hmm. in the paper Mm -hmm. like she took it too far um I don't know, because there's no indication of what her motivation for that would be. So you're just kind of left to speculate, like, well, she did. Why did she come across so harshly in the paper about him? Was it really that she's trying to present him in that way, like, to herself? I mean, you could look at it in any number of ways, because I don't think that it's it's anything in her behavior to suggest that she was doing anything, you know, out of malice. And I don't think that she was. No, Um, no. But she could have come across too harsh, and then she realizes that, you know. Or it's like she had this sense of like she cares about him personally so she's made it too much about this paper maybe Mm -hmm. well because realizes that hurt him right because i mean obviously we go back to the very beginning right this entire paper i mean not not to to bore on about this but you know for what it is i mean the entire paper really is like for lack of a better word the way it's constructed kind of unethical right i mean she has him Mm -hmm. as a subject they were romantically and sexually involved and then when she's told that hey to make this publishable we need to figure out the the effect right what 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 would or whatever it was you know what would make a woman fall for this stuff of his and so then she puts herself in the paper and so and obviously there's nothing transparent so obviously a big no-no from the beginning so that's kind of what made me think okay yes i mean she certainly sees herself as 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 too harsh in her in her review of him and backpedals that but i also can't help but wonder if it's also her kind of just realizing you know this entire thing i exaggerated you and my feelings about myself and you in order to make my you know my thesis match in order to make this basically publishable right I oh mean, yeah so yeah. it's it's kind of i feel like there's there's multiple things going on there that you kind of interpret differently but yeah which i i like that because i think it makes the situation you know the motivation is more complex you know right. right yeah that entire i think that conversation is interesting and They've kind of hinted before about Sam getting older or like his loss of fame and this so forth, but I don't think they've had anything yet that was quite at this level of just saying what his behavior at this point in his life is going to lead him to perhaps later in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it was also a good start, you know, for that as well as being a good story on its own. Right, right. Um, um, and then we get into, I'm going to say a bit of the ridiculous at the end when Diane wants to prove to Sam that the relationship is not sexual. Mm-hmm. And 
So he asked her, so, well, come and sit on my lap. It's like, well, Neil, is that not <laughs> in it, itself? This is the best way we're going to go about this, right? <laughs> right. Right. It's not like, oh, sit down and talk with me. Let's talk about something we haven't discussed before as friends. It's mm-hmm. like, sit on my lap. You know, so right. that's more like a resistance of temptation, which in itself makes it sexual. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was not going to good places from the beginning. <laughs> It's kind of when he, when he proposes, is it, it is kind of like a cringy. I mean, it is funny and mm-hmm. it does end funny, but it it does kind of it made you cringe a little bit. You know, it's like, oh yeah. god, where are we going with right. this? You know, right? Because it's like a man tempting himself by having a woman sit on his lap to prove to himself that he won't be sexually attracted to her or mm-hmm. do something sexual. Right. And I know that like, you know, I mean, in this situation, they know each other, and so it's not quite as creepy, but it's still it's weird, you know. Yeah. Um, but she finally does it. Of course, because you have to for the story. And they're going to have this normal conversation with her sitting on his lap. <laughs> so, yeah, every subject turns sexual. I really thought that they this was a fun back and forth, though. The, um, the weather, you know, like it's chilly outside. Well, mm-hmm. we're in Boston. And the whole thing about being at the beach and the sunburn and not if we rub oil all over each other. <laughs> yeah, you know, how it progresses, they take right? It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the music and rock and roll and classical and the well, just the how immediately they sexualize both styles of music. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then the religion, the Bible, Adam, Eve, fig leaves, sin. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought the verbal repartee in that part was really good. I did too. I really liked yeah. how that progressed. Yeah. Yeah. And so then at that point, also like just the physical comedy of her jumping off his lap right when they get to the end of the fig leaves, sin, but. Mm-hmm. And Sam jumps up. Um, I thought it was a... I'm not sure if this was scripted, or I guess I wonder if it was more, like, accidental and improvised when she goes to the door and, like, the doorknob comes off. And she's like, your knob? And hands it to him. And it was, you know, like, a funny, awkward moment. But I don't... Did that not seem like something that, like, maybe happened on set and they worked it in? Yeah, it it, it did seem kind of, like, almost shoehorned in, right? Like, the most random kind of thing that would have happened. Unless it's random, I guess it's better yeah. description. Um, which was, it's not bad. It was just, you know, maybe they just needed some odd little thing to close the episode. Right. With a humorous yeah. beat. So, yeah. And that's it. So, I yeah, I, I really like this one. I, I do, really too. Do. I really do, too. Like I said, I, I think... I've enjoyed when I when I think back on, you know, where we are so far in the show, um, I've really mm-hmm. enjoyed the, the stories where Diane, the whole I don't know, the whole uh, contrast between her high mindedness, her her academic pursuits and then Sam. Right. And, and this is an episode mm-hmm. where they kind of mesh together and we've had several other episodes whether it's entire episodes or subplots where this has been explored in one way or another and i enjoy those i like the way it kind of pits the two um backgrounds against one another and i really Mm -hmm. i i i enjoyed again like you said the 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 professor you know how how he comes in and sam's almost treated as a sort of unbelievable specimen right like oh my god this guy can't be for real you know? Yeah, yeah. He kind of treats him like a god a little bit. You know? Right, right, right. Like this guy, but it's at his own expense, right? I mean, Sam is like, oh, they just want to know the ways of, you know, Sammy State, right? And, and, right. You know, how I how I am so successful. And he completely misses, you know, the point of that. And, and that actually brings up a point because 
I wonder, you know, the way it ends, you know, what would it have been like if they had done a scene where he has to go back out and face those students, right? Because, I mean, he mm. kind of just made a made a, made a a joke of himself, right? Like going out there completely unaware of what they were thinking of him, why they were there to understand his, you know, Don Juan, you know, persona. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I don't know, it just, it, 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 it's an interesting to think, to think about, but um, yeah. I really enjoyed this episode, really, from start to finish. I thought it was really well done. Yeah. And I guess, like, if he went back to the class, the only thing I can think would be that he did give them a very good example of the sort of social behavior, you know, yeah. that yeah. is what's the, the the topic of the paper and the topic of, um, like, the you know, that, I guess, I guess that's it, just the topic of the paper. Um, yeah, I... Overall, the entire thing, like the way that it starts, just every beat of it, I thought was really well done. Because it's, yeah. you know, it starts with Carla asking Diane about the book, and then Diane saying that she has to write a paper, and then say, it just everything goes well, you know, it kind of flows. I don't think there are any kind of mm-hmm. false notes or anything that feels like it was contrived to it. And then it's just funny. They have these great, funny character moments throughout, as well as that kind of, I would say it's poignant when Sam is really, you know, for a minute at least, thinking about his life. Mm-hmm. in the end there yeah and yeah and then the side stories that i thought added some like fun and levity and didn't they didn't take away time and they didn't really take away too much emphasis from that main story either so i just thought everything was, was great about it really mm-hmm. i did too i thought the pacing um writing like you said there were some great lines in here and yeah overall this this is a standout for me so far this season i thought mm-hmm. it just all worked okay. really together for um for a good result that will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We're your hosts, Marlene Stimmy and Andy Blaker. How's it going this afternoon, Andy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm also doing well. Thank you. We are pretty much midway through season four of Cheers. We're on episode 12 of season four. This one is titled Fools and Their Money. It was written by Heidi Perlman, directed by James Burroughs, and it aired on December 19th, 1985. Our logline is, after repeated success in the Cheers football betting pool, Woody decides to wager $1,000 with Sam's bookie, and he wins. Sam tries to conceal from Woody that he, Sam, didn't place the bet with the bookie because the bet seemed really too random and unlikely to hit, and Sam was trying to protect Woody from loss. In the meantime, um, Fraser shows up in a mood to critique Diane's grammar, diction, and statement of fact. So um, we start with a teaser. There's a, a customer sitting up by the table by the window, 
Carla goes over to wait on him, and there's some sort of suggestive flirting going on back and forth between the two. And at one point, Carla asks the guy if they're talking about the same thing, and I, I believe he says, I, I think we are, or something like that, and she practically does a backbend across the table telling him to whisper <laughs> what he wants in his what, what he wants in her ear. Mm-hmm. And then she sits up and says, scotch and soda. <laughs> <laughs> and then thinks he's toying with her. Mm-hmm. So that is the whole teaser. It's just that little exchange with the, that fellow. Did you have any any thoughts on it? What did you think? I just thought it was kind of a fun, lighthearted opener. You yeah. know, yeah, it was too deep, mm-hmm. just enjoyable enough. Yeah, it was just kind of a fun Carla character moment. You know, right? So yeah, I thought it was an amusing, quick little teaser as well. Yeah. When we start the episode, the entire Cheers gang is watching football. And Diane, of course, is complaining about the amount of football that they watch on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And she talks about the stench of beer and monosyllabic conversation. And Sam calls after her, that's it, get into it, girl. <laughs> Which I really liked. Yeah. yeah. That was funny. And at some point in this, Fraser comes in. And he's letting Diane know he's going to go away for a while to get his thoughts in order and see if things look brighter for him. And Diane thinks it's a good idea. Fraser then invites her to go with him. She declines. So Fraser tells Diane that she's using the word really far too frequently. And then he keeps <laughs> harping about it, like really annoying, really this, really that. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps nitpicking Diane's use of English idiom and her bar slang, basically. So Diane tells Fraser to find another tavern in which to bore people. <laughs> so he's really not been really not been getting off on the right foot with her. And he says that he's there to enjoy the company of his male friends and then just kind of deflates when he sees that they're watching football. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's very visibly uh <laughs> disappointed in that. Right. Yeah. Right. I what I liked about the uh, what I liked best about this interaction was it just brought back to mind from the last season, season three, um, mm-hmm. how really the two of them are just for for being and I think they make this point later in the episode. Diane does you know for as intellectually um, um, stimulating as they imagine themselves to be, they're very petty with each other. Their, their interactions are always, you know, they devolve into this sort of pettiness at times, you know, mm-hmm. um, co- competing back and forth. And that's exactly what we get for this episode. And it's enjoyable to watch, but it's, I don't know, it reminded me of some of what their relationship really seemed to be. You know, they were always fighting over the insignificant arguably trivial things right right and and for two people who fashion themselves you know intellectuals or academics Mm -hmm. that's how they always ended up so i I thought that was kind of a fun callback that's a great point i think because they do they snipe at each other and it's not even an argument over intellectual substance it's usually these very like you said nitpicky items yeah and the one coming up is related to schopenhauer which is i think our second (laughs) Reference to Schopenhauer in Cheers, the first being from season one. But Diane's talking to her customers about Schopenhauer, as you do in the bar. And she quotes, noise is the most contemptuous of all forms of interruption. Mm-hmm. And Frazier at the bar can barely take it. <laughs> he's just He's already irritated that the rest of the bar is watching football. And now Diane is um, misquoting Schopenhauer. So he yells, impertinent. He just screams it out. <laughs> 
<laughs> Noise is the most impertinent of all forms of interruption. And then proceeds to go over to the customers and tell them, she said contemptuous. Can you believe that? <laughs> we have a great, uh, a great line here by one of my favorite uh, mm-hmm. regulars, yep. Al. Yes. He says, uh, I thought I'd have a conniption. <laughs> yes. And he's like grimaced when he's saying it. And uh-huh. I love that line. Yeah. Because you know he's been sitting there wa- like watching this exchange between these two petty uh-huh. people the entire time. <laughs> So that was that was a great inclusion of Al. <laughs> so this is when we get into their discussion of what you're talking about. That they Diane's telling Fraser that they should stop quibbling because as the only people of discernible intellect in the bar, it's their duty to set an example for the others. <laughs> yes. Yes. So all of this this entire exchange and Diane's misquote and Fraser's nitpicking and so forth made me wonder if maybe Diane often misspeaks when quoting or giving an academic anecdote, but Fraser's not there to correct her. Exactly. And who, who among us, who else among us would know, right? right? I mean, right. To, to, to correct her. <laughs> right. So Fraser says he's smarter than Diane. And then they continue to fight in this like very uppity way. And Sam, who they fashion as being so far below them, yells across the bar for them to stop fighting. So I just thought that was hilarious. These two people that disdain football and mm-hmm. all, you know, all people that watch it are creating more of a combative scene than anything having to do with football. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah. I like that. I thought that was kind of a fun juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. So Woody wins $75 in the football pool. And then Paul, who's kind of one of the background bar flies, takes second place. And um, there's a little back and forth over Woody not having a system. And Norm, I think it was something that Norm like, is asking about the system, and Paul says he has a reliable system, which is betting opposite whatever Norm picks. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so Woody just says he looks at the choices, and one team jumps out at him, <laughs> which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then Norm tells Woody he'd make a lot of money if he would parlay some of those bets with a bookie. And Woody knows nothing about this, you know. So Sam says that he knows someone who knows someone who knows someone that, you know, essentially that's a bookie. So Woody's kind of intrigued by this. Diane, of course, is discouraging this because it's illegal. And then Sam talks about it being a passage into manhood. And he names off some other items, like visiting a cat house, whizzing out the balcony, and mooning out of the back of the car. Which I think one of them, I think it was Norm called it the triple, didn't he? Somebody said yes. that was the triple. So, so, you do all yes, in one night. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they had that little, little exchange. And they're looking at next week's games. So Woody's picking these teams that I guess are long shots. Everybody else is responding like it's sort of a ridiculous choice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Cliff says Woody doesn't even know the point spreads. And he says that he just has these strong feelings about it. And he wants to place a bet with the bookie. And... And he wants to bet $1,000, which is all of his savings. And they're discouraging. Sam says he's not going to let him throw his money away. Cliff discourages him. And, and we have an interruption of this scene from Fraser coming over. And it looks like he's going to say something about Woody's gambling. Because Sam is encouraging him to talk some sense into Woody. And instead, he announces that over the course of the evening, Diane has made 17 errors in the areas of grammar, etiquette, and statement of fact. <laughs> so oh, I thought that gosh. was I thought that I just I like Fraser interrupting to say that in the middle right of, you know like and Sam, what they're talking about like making 
bets with a bookie and Fraser's like, but listen to this error, you know? Right, right. And Sam kind of, you know, ha- is willing to have him come over and thinks, oh yeah, you know, Woody, listen to, you know, the psychiatrist. He's going to mm-hmm. give you some wisdom and, and it's just completely unrelated to that. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And, and it, what I really liked was Diane's face because she just like, <laughs> she pans to it her book. She puts her book down and yes. she's just like this, this grimace on her face about like, this guy is unbelievable. Right. And, yeah, I really liked how they delivered it. I think so, too. I think that was... Her expressions toward him are... Uh, it's funnier and funnier because she's more and more, I think, a part of the bar and taking on a bit of that attitude. Mm-hmm. And so it's... Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, and Sam doesn't want to make the bet for Woody, so Paul says he'll find a bookie to place the bet. And Sam doesn't like that. He says he'll keep it in the family, you know. And wants to know where the money is. And then we have this part where Woody starts to roll up his pant leg and untie his shoe. And so they think that he keeps his money <laughs> in, his, um, in his shoe. And he says something about, like, how you really do think I just fell off the turnip truck, you know. <laughs> Indicating that he's more sophisticated in that. And then he reveals mm-hmm. that he has um, the map to where the money is buried in his backyard. Right. Right. And it's like a handkerchief, and you can kind of see like a little map-like drawing on it mm-hmm. when he pulls it out. I thought that was funny. I thought that was a funny twist, you know. It was. ridiculous and funny twist. I want to say something, too, about mm-hmm. um, this whole scene with, with the bed. And, and um, Sam was very prote- protective, very um, almost paternal here toward him. Like, he yeah. refuses to allow Woody to do what he is certain is going to just, you know, throw his money away, lose it all. And I liked how how strong Sam was, at least initially, about saying, I'm not going to do that. You're not going to do that. It's a stupid idea. It just, it reminded me of very much of a father-son dynamic, you know. It does. It does. And then the part about the keeping it in the family, like, he's going to go off and do it anyway. I might as well, you know, I mean, we know that he's going to try to protect him even more than that. But just the idea of keeping the bet in the family so at least Sam would know what was going on, I thought was a, a good touch with that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So Woody wins. Next scene, we find that out. Everybody's waiting for Woody to arrive, and they're singing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow And when they think Woody's coming in. And it turns out it's Sam coming in, and everyone's kind of like, oh, celebration dies. <laughs> I think Sam does say something about it's not a good idea to encourage Woody to gamble. I think he mentions it again. And it, then they talk about how Woody won, what is it, like Woody won $10,000, and Sam's says the bookie hasn't there's a whole conversation about the bookie hasn't shown up yet and they don't right. know why the bookie hasn't shown up yet but sam's going to call the bookie is there anything more about that like the appearances and the kind of beginning of that that you wanted to comment on? i re- i remember thinking um that woody was very very impatient <laughs> yes yeah. through the course of the rest of the he asks several times when's the bookie going to get here when's the, you know mm-hmm. obviously he wants the money anyone would but i just remember thinking it's like my god it's been how much time has really elapsed it seemed to me like very little time had really elapsed since he had learned that he'd won it so i remember thinking you know shut up about the money I mean, he does <laughs> ask a lot yeah and yeah. i guess it's to sort of prompt that tension over Sam having not placed the bet, but he does ask, like, right when he comes in, he's like, you know, thanks, but guess what? I won that parlay as though they're just, you know, singing him in for no reason. Mm -hmm. And he starts asking then about, like, has the bookie shown up? And I guess you don't have a, I didn't have a good sense of when the bet was placed, but I assume it was shortly before that, you know, that he won, so. 
so Fraser comes in at this point again, tells Diane he was ice fishing in freezing water, and that he left every what was it every iota of pettiness on that frozen tundra. <laughs> he goes on, he apologizes to her, and, <laughs> and she says, "Apology accepted." And he says, <laughs> "Incomplete sentence." Yes, yeah. Which is itself an incomplete sentence. <laughs> so yes. That was funny. It's true. Yeah. And so he heads back to the ice. I like the way Frazier, I can't remember now, I guess we'll get to it, but I don't remember if he appears again. I sort of think that that's it for him. But I like they brought him back in to have that little part. You know, I think mm-hmm. that that was a fun interlude. Definitely. Yeah. And it kind of gave him and also Diane a little bit more to do besides just the gambling plot in the episode. Right. Sam um, is in the office. He sticks his hand out and he's waving a note like around the corner, basically at Diane. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty, kind of funny. Um, just kind of flailing it at her. And the note says, please get in here. So she's sitting in his chair, which I've noticed she does more this season. It's like she's kind of counseling him. She'll sit in the big chair, in the office chair, you know. So she's sitting in the chair and she tell, he tells her that he's in big, big trouble. And he did something It felt so right when he did it at the time, but it turned out to be all wrong. And I really, her response here, I think is really clever. And she says, what's her name and how many months? <laughs> that was a, it was a very clever line. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised we haven't had that up to this point earlier in, in, in one context or another when he'd been in trouble. But um, yeah, it. it... Mm-hmm. Oh, her saying that you mean, or responding in that way? Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. It just seems like, you know, given her opinion of him in certain situations mm-hmm. and what we know of Sam, it seems like a line that we would have gotten before now. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So Sam admits he never placed the bet. And Diane's solution is that Sam go to the bookie and tell him that he honestly intended to wager on the winning teams. <laughs> so it's at the beginning of this, like Sam is kind of interested in what she has to say and then it's just kind of you know nonsense at the end. So he dismisses that. And so St- or Diane says that she'll sound Woody out to see if the money is really important to him. And she's touched that Sam came to her for advice. He says that if it works out, she will be. So <laughs> always have to have some sort of... Oh, you know, yeah. Always. Comment like that. <laughs> and then so, yeah, Woody is concerned. As you said, he's concerned, again, that the bookie hasn't shown up yet with his money. And Carla talks about how no bookie would Welsh on a bet because Welshers are the lowest form of scum. And Woody talks about how in Hanover they took Welshers and rubbed them with bacon fat and threw them in the sty with Romeo, the friendly hog. <laughs> and Sam is standing there listening to all of this. Um, Romeo, the friendly hog. That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So we have this conversation of Diane sitting down with Woody. And I really, I, this is not the crux of the episode, but I really like this part, this whole mm-hmm. back and forth. What did you, did you have any thoughts as we go into it on what it's, your impression was? Yeah, I mean, it's very sweet. It's very mm-hmm. sweet. And I think it really illuminates the good naturedness, if that's a word, of Woody, you know, mm-hmm. and and his upbringing and, and a little bit of his innocence, you know. Um, I thought it, I thought it really put a spotlight on that. I do too. And that he wants to use a lot of the money, it sounds like, to help other people. You know, he right. really wants the money. And it kind of like a little bit later on, it gets more into like really wanting the money and so forth when he has the scene in the office with Sam. But at this point, he's talking about wanting to do what other people want because mm-hmm. Diane says she wants to speak metaphysically. 
and Woody was like, and you need money for the language lessons, no problem, <laughs> you know? Right. So it's kind of his innocence and haplessness, and but then there's the luck aspect in the episode, too, of him, or whatever it is, this gift he has for betting. So it's the whole thing, I think, is an interesting portrait of Woody. Yeah. And Diane talks about, like, what money means to us, and it wouldn't matter if he never received the money because he has love and friendship and all of this. And he just explains to her about how his family never had a lot of money and his parents made sacrifices. And he tells this kind of sweet story about his mother told him to hold on to his dream and that she lost hers, but she wanted his to come true. Mm-hmm. And talks about how it made him sad to think of what mom gave up for us. So it puts you in that place of, of emotional openness to Woody, but then you have Diane ask, well, what was your mom's dream? And Woody says that it was to be a drummer in a power trio. <laughs> so, which is not, you know, what I was expecting. I don't think it's what anybody would expect for Woody to say. Exactly. <laughs> and her big hero is Ginger Baker in Cream. And he goes on about walking past the music store. Um, and it was something about his, how it, like, she may have been in one place, but in her mind she was like on stage. I, don't, I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but there's so many, they just great parts to that that are just so contrary to what we might think of an Indiana farm family. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I thought this was interesting, too, since I obviously live in Indiana and have my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, We we find out he is from Hanover, Indiana. Right. Which my first thought, first off, the Hanover is much closer to Chicago, um, Illinois, than it is to Indianapolis. Oh, okay. Um, It's in the um, northwestern part of the state. And... I don't know if I've ever actually been there. I've been in that area before, but I remember, mm-hmm. I don't know, wondering if they had cornfields and that sort of stuff up there. I mean, I'm sure they, they do in some in some respect, but apropos of nothing, I just wanted to mention Hanover is a real city. Oh, yes. <laughs> in Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> I think Woody Harrelson is from Indiana. It's from that area or went to school I there. Think I think you're I right. These things. I can't remember now. I think you're right. I, yeah. I think that sounds right. No. And he, so Woody, Woody Boyd, the character, makes a comment about with heavy metal coming back, who knows what might happen, you know, because he's going to get these drums for, drums for his mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, I just, I thought that was a great conversation. Yeah. So, but so Woody's excited about the money to get these drums for his mother. And Diane basically has to tell Sam that she failed in this mission to convince Woody that money wasn't important. So, but I mean, if the, the reason why is because the money is about what he can do for other people. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's the, that was the, the difficult obstacle, I guess. Yeah. So Sam is getting desperate. He's encouraging Woody to spread out the money into payments and give him, he's going to take the money himself and give Woody a dollar a week for 10,000 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he has these just outlandish ideas about this. Yeah. And Woody's not going for it. He wants all of it at once. So Sam takes him in the office. He tells him he didn't place the bet. And he says that he was trying to take care of him the way that Coach used to take care of him, Sam, and with similar results, apparently. So, of course, like, Sam is well-intended, but it just it didn't work out. But Woody recognizes that, like, the good intention. He says it's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for him. And Sam is upset because Woody's not angry at him. <laughs> so Woody gets becomes more grateful essentially and she's like it was for my own good sam he's hugging him you know i really i like this scene i like that again like woody it's it, it might be at this point what we expect from woody but it's just not what an 
everyday person, what do you expect from an everyday person? Right. You know, like right. that initial That's response true. from someone to be how grateful he is for Sam for being a good person. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is just really interesting because yet, yet again, another parallel um, to, you know, Sam's, as you mentioned, Sam's paralleling um, him, his and Woody's relationship to Sam and coaches. Mm-hmm. And um, like coach, Woody is a bit ditzy, but ultimately very wise you yes. know, uh, very mature for his age. And, and he's having a very mature reaction that, as you said, most people would not have in this situation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just really, I, I one reason among many that I liked this conversation between the two was that Coach was a big part of it, you yes. know, and, and he was kind of, you know, his presence was more felt in this episode, I think, than than in recent ones, mm-hmm. um, obviously. But I just like noting the little parallels between how we kind of have Coach reincarnated as a much younger <laughs> version yeah. of himself, you know, yeah. in some ways. And it's definitely the most overt. I mean, they're you know talking about Coach, but just also, like you said, the sort of the presentation of his character yeah. that, that we've had since the very beginning of the season, I think. And Woody even apologizes as he leaves the office because Sam says he is, you know, wants to feel like a jerk in private. So Woody apologizes <laughs> and then um, comes back in and offers to take a dollar a week. Sam says it's not good enough. And then he's <laughs> talked about a dollar a week and a raise. It's still not good enough. And then he adds on and your Corvette. <laughs> so this is kind of the, the game changer. Yeah. Sam says, I'm not a chance. That's my car. And it's just everything reverses at this point in their tone. And because he's in, right. Woody is saying, like, but you owe me $10,000. And and Sam is saying, like, you're talking about my car. And then Woody says that Sam isn't sincere. And he calls him a selfish lying creep. <laughs> but Sam is still like, Sam's not getting angry back at him. He's like, you're angry. You know, that's good. And so forth. Um, right. I thought that that was really interesting, too, because now it has, like, Woody was sort of the wise one, and now it's moved back to Sam sort of being the wise father figure, telling Woody, like, that's good, and it's okay to be angry with people. You know, you should be angry. And yeah. Woody says, like, no, I'm going to go pack my bags. And Sam's like, what are you, ta- you, know, what are you talking about? Because just, he, he did, I think, I, I guess Sam probably didn't realize that Woody was that angry, and in fact, he's not. He's just, it's like, well, you're my boss, and I yelled at you. <laughs> I can't stick right. around. Well, and, and, and all yeah. of this, too, This we wouldn't have gotten to this point of the car except for the fact that Sam really kind of egged him on, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and brought this all up. Right. So, it, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Because if Sam hadn't been so, you know, overt in his expression of guilt and thinking that Woody should be emotional about it and angry about it, then it wouldn't have got – yeah, you're right. It wouldn't have gotten to the point where he suggested taking his car. Yeah. So it, I, I think – in this, Sam ends up being right in kind of promoting a confrontation and seeing it as good. You know, he explains yeah. that friends yell at each other and fight, and he talks about how he and Coast used to fight, and then it made right. them closer. So I think, again, you get another little interesting bit of Sam's relationship, that kind of father-son relationship with Coach. Right. I like that. And he then, so this, I think this last bit is kind of the quintessential part of the episode when Sam is telling Woody that Coach was a great peacemaker which I think we know just from the three seasons that we had coach that he you know tried to make peace among people or kind of make things work out and so forth oh yeah definitely yeah 
And so Sam says that after a big fight, they would put their arms around each other and sing Home, Home on the Range. <laughs> Which, again, it's like it's not really what you expect, you know, or at right. least it wouldn't be, I don't think. It wasn't what I expected. Um, and so they they do this, and they're kind of standing, like they're blocked, you know, in a way on the stage, like they're in a play. They're just in the center of the screen, kind of facing the audience. I thought that that was interesting, too, you know, mm-hmm. just the way they were positioned. And Sam says that Coach used to start them off. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny. It's like Sam can't take that role on himself. So right, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so Woody sings the Oh Give Me a Home part and then they start to sing and he says they have to sing for half an hour if you can sing Home on the Range with a man for half an hour you couldn't hold a grudge um, I, and I thought too I think they have nice voices singing together I noticed that like they just kind of have a pleasant they both have pleasant sounding voices on mm-hmm. that song yeah and so after the verse Sam asks Woody if he's feeling better and Woody nods and says I still want your car so then he launches into the chorus, <laughs> swaying back and forth. Right. Yeah. And then we have the bar noticing that Sam and Woody are singing. They can hear them from outside. And Carla says, oh, it's Coach's old trick. So I like that. I like that it kind of told us that they knew that that was what Coach had done. Right. They recognized. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that made Coach even, that part made Coach even more a part of the episode as well. That Carla is thinking back on what Coach used to do and recognizing yeah. it now, you know? Exactly. And then Norm is the first to join in the singing, followed by Diane. And then everybody's singing Home on the Range. Mm-hmm. I actually, I really love that. I love that kind of singing ending with the whole bar singing. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like in the past, either Norm or Diane has joined in singing, you know, as the first person in a song before, like the one with the lullaby that Carlo was singing to her baby on the phone. Do you remember mm-hmm. that one? I do. And yeah. Norm started humming along, you know, yeah. I like that. I like that Norm joins in singing, exactly. kind of leads it off. So I thought it was a great way for the, for the episode to end, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's probably one of my favorite endings. If I had to make a list of favorite Cheers endings, that would be yeah. at or near the top. And it's one of the things that I remember being a favorite scene of Sam and Woody singing, being a favorite scene in my childhood viewings, too. So it's, that one's always stayed with me for that reason. Yeah. Um, I wonder, too, like that's one of those moments that I wonder if the actors would look back on that as something like nostalgic for them when they film mm. the show. Like if they had, because you know they have the like clip montages and things like that, and I wonder if they saw that, if they're like, I remember when we did that in the office, you know, all these years later. Uh, well, I mean, I know they, they, from what little I've seen in the years past, you know, like when they talk about honoring um, Nicholas Costanza, um, oh my gosh, what's his last name? Colasanto. Gosh, I just melded the two in Seinfeld. Nicholas Costanza? Yeah, you know, they're very fond of him, obviously, in his time, you know, the first three years. And so I, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a really sweet, effective way to kind of pay tribute to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this episode. I think that it's, I mean, it's kind of simple. There's not a lot that happens when I look back at it. But mm-hmm. I think just as, as a character piece for Woody and to a degree for Sam, mm-hmm. I think that it really works well. Yeah. I agree. I mean, he, you know, Woody, you can't help but like him, Mm -hmm. um, really, throughout the entirety of of the episode. Um, 
And I also think um, a fun little diversion is the secondary plot with the pettiness that is Frasier and Diane. Yes. And um, how how Frasier is just so clearly, you know, because he's kind of been intermittently seen throughout the season, right? He's not been in every episode. Right. And and his involvement in the episodes has been pretty pretty minimal, but um, he's clearly, you know, got a got a candle burning for her and, mm-hmm. and it's slowly driving him more and more crazy I think over these next episodes yeah yeah you're right it is yeah. it is and I think that that was a good that their little storyline was a, added a good balance or a good little bite to the pretty much like the warmth of the other storyline which I think stands on its own but I thought that was a good pairing of stories as well yes did you have any other thoughts on it I think that sums it up that will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening.